All right, let's get started. Guys, welcome to the Art of Retreat Lives podcast. My guest today is Brandy Laird. Brandy is a humanimal who has been practicing parkour since 2006. She has over 10 years of teaching experience with the non-profit organization Parkour Visions and has led classes, seminars, and collaborated with parkour communities and organizations worldwide. As an athlete, she's known for her fluid, low-impact movement style, balancing power and technique to execute seemingly effortless feats of ninjury. I love that you put weird non-words in here. As an instructor, she's known for her attention to detail, creative approaches to training, and for bringing boundless playful energy into her sessions. A curious human, an avid doer of things, Brandy is also a juggler and a poet deeply values the mindset of living through utility and can often be found hanging around at twilight in the trees. Brandy, what are yeah. some of your early memories of being coached? Yeah, so that was a, that was a fun one. Since you did give me the questions ahead of time, I had a while to think about it. And um, honestly, my earliest memories are all from media. Um, as a kid, I did not have any structured activities after school um, we just didn't we didn't do any team sport or or anything like that and so the main influence for me was things like the the wise master in various stories and shows uh some that come to mind a lot of people don't know this movie but it's called the three ninjas and in the three ninjas they there's there's three kids and their grandfather is a, an older uh japanese guy and in the summertime they're sent to his property and they spend the whole summer learning how to be ninjas and uh, the movie opens up where the grandfather is like driving back into the house and then they just they ambush him and try to defeat him and he just he just wipes the floor with them um and and they go through and of course there's you know a whole arc about the bad guys and them having to come together and use all their skills to to save to save people but uh, that had a huge influence on me, absolutely. Like I watched that movie with my little brother almost daily uh, for a lot of my my younger life. Um, but other, th- other things too. There's you're gonna get a theme here, but even like Splinter from the Ninja Turtles, right? It's, it's like because I didn't have any physical coaches, I had a ton of amazing instructors. Um, don't get me wrong, when I was in in school, I got really lucky with with teachers. Um, but as far as like a, a, a coach where, who could help me um, develop my physical abilities and everything that comes with that, um, it was all it was all movies and TV. Yeah, it's it's interesting so and also like, yeah. yeah, it's sort of I'm interesting and unsurprising that you um, you come from that that same cartoon background that I remember really strongly, which is a lot of the cartoons from the early 90s and the late 80s they were so they, they had like morals to them really big deeply within them and it's I'll interesting bring that up later when, when we get to uh the values and, and the concepts because yeah i think like captain planet oh my gosh i used to watch captain planet um even now i have the benefit of using the disney plus and just going back through and seeing some of those those 90s TV shows um, and just remembering the feelings that I was having as a, as a child and also, you know, seeing some very clear ways that those, again, fables essentially have carried over into who I've become is, uh, is pretty, pretty fun. 
My latest one is Uncle Iroh from Avatar. I just love him so yes, much. Yes, Uncle Iroh. Yeah, I would have. I mean, he would have been there. I watched it as an adult, so um, I didn't get the benefit of Uncle Iroh when I was when I was growing up. But that's exactly the, what I'm talking about. Is is that that archetype or, or you know that role in in the the lives of the other characters um, has always had a huge impact on me. You know, the Yodas and, and all that. So, what was your journey into parkour like then? When I started calling my practice parkour, um, Tyson Checa and Rafe Kelly had just recently started talking and working with the idea of starting a nonprofit for it. Um, this is 15 years ago. Can I just pause you for um, a second? Yeah. So you just said something very interesting. You said, when I started calling my practice parkour, how did you visualize your practice before parkour? Ninja stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just, doing, just doing ninja stuff <laughs> you know like out out for a out for a creep and a sneak you know climbing hunting trees and watching people um it it wasn't a revelation to use obstacles for physical practice mental practice emotional you know stability whatever um but i didn't really have a name for it uh up to the point of like okay this is looks like what I've been doing is more like parkour than anything else. So I might as well just go there and, and, and call it that. So this was still in the early days of like forums online. Uh, there wasn't exactly a nonprofit yet. It was just kind of these ideas and community talking about about doing something more structured um, to help push the push the discipline. And so honestly, it didn't. I got lucky in in that when I started practicing, it was by myself for a very short amount of time. I know some people have practiced alone for years and years, um, but basically it went from, oh, there's this thing that I kind of been doing, but not to the full capacity in one week, to, oh, um, my friend Janine was holding the first ever Seattle women's gathering. It was like a, a small jam, there were, I think there were six or seven of us maybe. Um, like the following week was this thing so it was sort of a serendipitous time where uh there was no no real isolation um for me so that I think that had a lot to do with how quickly I got into instructing as well um just because I was already surrounded by it yeah because one of the more interesting things about your story is that you've been an instructor almost as long as you've been practicing parkour yeah, it's just because of the way the community was already set up. I mean, you know, when I came in, again, other people had been doing it for a couple of years. Um, Tyson and Janine both had come up from like the south of the state to, to Seattle and Rafe had come from Bellingham, another part of the state to Seattle. And they had already kind of started conglomerating in the same location. And the way we would have even just our, our training days together would be someone would run the warm up, you know, you just take your turn to guide everyone through whatever horrible, awful decision you've made that day. And then everyone follows you to do that. And then y'all just kind of break off and do whatever else um, training is going to happen. So that, that was just the, the culture I was, I was uh, introduced to when I was introduced to a, a culture of uh, group training. So you started in a 
what's basically a class format instead of the more classic jam format then? Yeah, I guess it's, it's closer to, for sure. Um, I mean, the very first person I ever trained with, we just went to Fury Park and, and did drops. I, I strongly remember that. Um, you know, hooked him on the forum and was like, okay, I'll be out here. And yeah, we just jumped off of stuff. But um, again, this is all, keep in mind, this is in the space of just a couple of days as well, right? Like two weeks from, I'm watching all the videos I can find on the internet to, I'm with a group of people and they're showing me what the moves, what the moves are, what they're called and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's a good observation. It's really interesting. I remember um, to give you one from my uh, way back when, back the very first couple of gems I ever went to, there was this really dodgy guy. And what he'd do is he'd jump off like a seven foot high wall over small crowds of people land and then roll on concrete and then eventually he'd keep doing this to more and more people and then he'd try and raise money by jumping over people and that was like one of our first introductions to what parkour was i mean we dropped them quite quickly <laughs> but like that was some, that was like that was we didn't know back then i had this lovely conversation hey, I mean, everyone has to have their own their own path you know um <laughs> so um if we can kind of move into your coaching style, because I've obviously seen your approach mostly at large events where you're really being asked to make an impact and be memorable and deliver this really exceptional experience. Um, and one of the really interesting things about that is you are one of always one of the most memorable coaches at these large events. Um, what, what are you thinking about when you go into those experiences in those moments? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> a lot of times I don't actually know until the, the, the moment of, but um, certainly, you know, well, I guess we would have to go back to why, why in the first place have I been asked to, to do these events and to, you know, lead large warmups and, and this is, is because for every session, even if it's just a few people, even if it's just for a few minutes, Ultimately, my goal is to provide them, uh, to facilitate a, an environment where they can discover, how, first of all, how epic training is, how epic they can be, and just how fun it is to, to get better at stuff, because that's what, that's what I'm excited about. I love this feeling of being more proficient, um, being stronger is a part of that, but also just being more control, having, having more options. And the reason I teach in the first place is so that people can discover having more options, whatever those ones are for, for them that they want. Um, so that's where it started. The other, the other aspect of my coaching and why I guess the, the memorable aspect is because, well, I really want to be able to be myself. I really want that. I'm pretty neat. I have a fun time. <laughs> you know, just just in my own brain. So if I'm going to be doing this discipline that is meant to be freeing, I'm going to be sharing it with people. I sure as heck better also be free when I'm doing that. And then I take that to the, the next level, which is, okay, well, if I want to be, if I can be free, I need everyone else to know that they can also do that. So 
with large groups more especially, but even just with my regular classes, um, I do not put any filters on the shenanigans that come up for me as, as an instructor. So you know, I'm goofy a lot of the time. Um, I say what I think, I say what I mean, um, but I'm not gonna put on, cause even though I have this, you know, these ideas of these archetypes and this kind of persona, when I teach coaches, one of the first things you start with is coaching persona. Not necessarily who do you want to pretend to be, but what aspects or what facets of you are you wanting to bring out to show these people? And so going back to starting with that whole like wise master ninja master idea, um, that's who I want to be for people. I want to be the the crafty old lady who can still put you down on the ground, <laughs> you know, even though you're a young spry person. Um, since what our discipline is parkour, I'm doing that, you know, mentally and and in, in tricking them into making themselves more comfortable. I, I guess. Um, however, with large events, a, a huge part of it too is more, people go to events to be with each other, right? Um, even though I did start my parkour practice already having a lot of people around me, um, I always I still did default to training mostly alone. It just for me it just works um, but I know that when people come to these large events and the dozens or the you know and you know a couple hundred even uh, they're there to be with other people and to train with others and so when I'm doing those sorts of experiences I want to make something where it's memorable personally for whatever you've done physically but also that you're you're having the sense that you connected with people around you yeah i remember when we were at rendezvous that you said a lot of those Which rendezvous? the the last one where we were staying together um then you were really thinking about okay i want to we it was pouring with rain and you wanted to give them this amazing experience and we were bouncing ideas off each other because i think your original plan wasn't quite going to work and I remember listening to the way the thought patterns are going through your head and they were all very, very high level conceptual. So it was, I want them to feel like this. I want them to have this emotion. And we were bandying and uh, if viewers don't know what Brandy ended up doing was making everyone get into their underwear and climb on a tree, which worked fantastically. So here's a really <laughs> interesting question. Why did that work so fantastically? Do you want to break that down for everyone well, a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess to, to, to paint the picture a little more completely for those who were not there, um, this was in London, and that day was training in, honestly, I can't remember the name of the park, but it's a natural space with you know dirt, trees, rocks, all, all, the, all the good stuff. It's with hands and teeth. Thank you. Um, and I also was assigned the most experienced group for their first session of the day. Now, one thing that I'm keeping in mind when I'm doing these events, and by the way, with rendezvous events, you self-select into your groups. And so these are the people who self-selected as, I feel the most confident, I feel the, the most experienced, I want the craziest, worst, hardest thing you can throw at me. And my thought process to that was, A, a lot of these people are a lot stronger than me physically. Many of them are a lot stronger than me mentally, uh, 
for for certain challenges like heights and jumps and such. And for the the third aspect was they've already spent a, a weekend being given big jumps, sketchy climbs. Um, in in a way, they because they're the the highest level or the most comfortable they're also the most comfortable with the same sort of challenge. So my, my thought process was, all right, what, first of all, do I think is fun? And, and what I really like to do myself, <laughs> which is strip down and be in, in pouring rain. But that aside, what also are they not going to expect? And how can I get them actually out of their comfort zone? Because sure, it's uncomfortable to, to look at a new jump that you're, I don't know if you're going to break yet or not. But that's still a familiar comfort. That is something a process has gone through over and over and over and over, especially, you know, nine, ten years into your training, they've been there, done that. So I wanted to provide something different. <laughs> I wanted to provide something that would actually challenge them um, physically, but in a way that is unexpected. And so it was actually just luck that it rained so profusely and it only rained that profusely for the first session like it was it was crazy the first like the warm-up happened it started to drizzle and then by the session it was you know 45 minutes long boosh, just pouring rain yeah. um i also had the benefit of having a an assistant who um nala wild fitness and she is also all about you know dirt rocks getting getting there so um between the two of us it seemed just about right to have everyone strip down, experience the elements, you know, be uncomfortable from just, you know, your bare, your bare feet on the ground. We spent all this time on concrete, but very few people are doing that with their feet bare and actually feeling the, the sensations and the impacts of that. Um, and then, of course, just the idea of being exposed, feeling exposed, not just being exposed, like feeling exposed, but you are literally, you know, people are coming by and taking pictures and pointing and talking and, you know, you have to you have to keep your focus and and do what you're doing. Uh, the tree was just the the icing on the cake, that nice large tree. Because there's no there's no bark to speak of after so much time. It's so slippery, just even in dry weather. Let alone when it's sopping wet and you're asking people to crawl across it with their eyes closed. So that it did all seem to come together. I don't know. It's like it. There's a method to the madness, um, <laughs> and that is yeah. you know, I wanted people to. To come come through with something new. Um, I think I personally find it really interesting because I know that so many other coaches who could have another coach could have brought the same class plan there, and they would be met with a lot of resistance. And so, what I find very interesting about it is because it was what you were genuinely interested in doing. I think that it, it worked in a way that I was really like I was really impressed by. That's why it stuck in my brain. Which kind of leads back to the point you were making earlier where you were saying that um, you act, it's that like the classic authentic coach. You act like you want to act, which is goofy and silly because you want to be goofy and silly. And there's something that works about that because it is actually you. I find that a really interesting idea. Yeah, I do find theatrics to be helpful, um, especially in a situation like that where I did expect, I actually expected uh, more resistance than I got. It did help that there were a few people who kind of gave it away before I even got to, I, I was like, I was like, oh, it's raining. You should, you better take off our clothes. I was like, no, shh, shh, 
I want to say that, you know, like I want to be the one to initiate this. Don't you steal my thunder. Um, but it definitely does help to, to be the first to do whatever the thing is. Um, <laughs> and theatrics, it just makes a difference. You know, if you want to capture people, I spend a lot of time teaching kids too. And one of the best ways to get their first attention before they know you or, or just kind of intro them is to, to do something that, that calls for their attention. Even if it's just being like interesting looking, you know. Having a cool uh, t-shirt counts. Hedge. Yeah, I've, I've got cool t-shirts. I've got cool t-shirts. Um, that yeah. leads to the next question really interestingly because which bits of that style do you keep when you return home to your regular classes day in and day out? And which bits do you really adapt for the more regular coaching work that you do? Um, it's, it's all there. It's all the same. The only thing that happens with large events is I will do extra special, like I'll go above and beyond for the setup for something. Um, an example would be the, the dance core that I did at the dance core was wonderful. Yeah. Like I would do that normally, but I wouldn't go through the effort of, uh, developing a costume and, <laughs> And you know, unleashing it in such a flamboyant manner, um, mostly just because there's not time for that, and it's, they're going to see me over and over and again, so they're gonna, they're going to know that that's the thing, just without having the dress, right? It's basically in large events, I have to condense what I'm trying to present, and in regular everyday classes, I can kind of let it go over time, and so it can be a little, little more subdued, um, but subdued is not really the right word because I'm not subdued when I'm when I'm instructing but pretty much okay. the same you know I want people to have an epic experience every time even if it's just an hour-long class I want them to leave having done something or felt like they did something I want them to leave having not been able to do something um, so do you when building class plans um, it sounds like you really are thinking quite high level so you're thinking, I know that you've done some coach development as well. So what I find interesting about that approach is it seems to run counter to the sort of more classic class plan building where you're saying, okay, well, they'll learn this movement and we'll attach it to this core concept. Or I'll build this concept into a challenge associated with this core concept. Um, how do you take those coaching building blocks that we all teach our coaches and mm. kind of put your own flavor on top of that well one thing that I have learned to do um, and that I'm I really support is to be explicit uh, be explicit with those concepts it does work fine over time to you know do the movements do challenges do drills that people will learn self-discipline, you know, discernment, all these things through. Um, but in a way, I, I think it's a shortcut. If you say something like, you know, when you're, when you're doing jumps or shit, here's, here's, five, here's five opportunities to, to do a jump. I want you to discern which ones are safe for you today, which ones might be safe for you after what you need to do to train for them. Um, 
So by just speaking to it, that's, that's something I do all the time. I, I will say it. Because um, even if it's not understood at the time, if it's ex been exposed to enough, along with the activities, you're going to get it. If it's going back to those, you know, those 90s cartoons where every single episode had a moral of the story. You could watch the show and just be entertained and be like, oh, ha, ha, of course, they were like, it was all about friendship. It was all about teamwork. It was all about, you know, telling the truth. But you see that stuff enough times, first of all, you're, 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 um, you're able to say that about it. Like, oh, this, one, this, is the, this is the telling the truth episode. Well, how did I know that? Well, it's because I've been exposed to enough telling the truth episodes. And clearly, I know that this is some sort of value that people like enough to keep sharing it. So um, that's really my approach with, with the conceptual things. Because for me, parkour is at least half concept, if not more, as far as what's important to, to understand and to teach. Obstacle-based disciplines are plentiful now, right? Parkour doesn't have, parkour is not the only place to jump or to climb or to do any of these things. So what makes it parkour, as far as I'm concerned, is the concept, it's an idea. So if I can't teach an idea or if I cannot speak to an idea, then I'm not actually teaching parkour, am I? I'm just having people jump around. Um, my newest process to that is developing curriculum specifically with concepts in mind. So an example for this is, this is something I had launched um, pretty recently before we had to stop doing some, some different classes for the time, is instead of saying things like, okay, so we're gonna do our conditioning and we're gonna do our falling practice and we're gonna do these vaults. And then, you know, over time people just figure out, oh, well, conditioning is to keep me strong and falling so I don't, you know, bust myself open and also so I can get places. Instead, I just frame it with what I think it should be. So, all right, class of six-year-olds, for our self-control <laughs> practice today, we're going to work on our step ball. Yay. And I can say just that. I don't have to go, what is self-control? I can just say, for our self-control practice today, we're going to look at step balls, precision jumps like always, and some balance. For our self-preservation, we're going to practice our backfall. And if they're hearing that all the time, and depending, again, depending on the age level and, and the, uh, the familiarity of the students, we can then have conversations about what those things mean, right? I'm also a huge fan of asking students questions. I'm not going to tell you all of the things if you're in my class. I will suggest some things, but I will also ask you, what does it mean to protect yourself? How do we do that in parkour? What sorts of things do we do? And it's always surprising. You know, a lot of times people don't give, especially children, uh, credit for having deep and complete thoughts. Start asking the questions and you'll see. They, they absolutely can, can come up with sometimes better answers than I even had to give them if they didn't come up with anything. Yeah. I write it down. <laughs> what I really like about that approach is that um, it layers in a very explicit level to it. And I think um, from my experience, um, reading a lot of where education theory is going is it, it kind of, it sometimes get, we get lost in these big, brilliant ideas of teaching high level concepts and forget that some of the basic scaffolding needs to be in place to have those discussions. And just by putting those words in place, you know, this is our self-preservation practice or this is our conditioning practice to make us stronger just by saying it, which we don't say those things you've actually built in 
their ability to connect okay i'm doing this because of this i'm doing this because of this which are simple thoughts but they're important thoughts because they're connecting concepts to movements in a way that we want them to learn so i really like that approach because it's almost wonderfully simple yeah it's i definitely have had conversations with people in the past who 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 have the opinion that perhaps by being that explicit you might be taking something from someone's experience like i'm telling you this is for your self-preservation or your self-coaching right if i'm telling you that well maybe you're not going to have the benefit of this um so far i haven't seen that be true again just in my experience um on the contrary it gives people a place to stand to try and understand and try to process whatever's happening with those with those events because Again, it is simple. You just say the words and then you do the activity and the activity happens how it happens. And if it's successful for that person, then they know something about themselves around that concept. If it's unsuccessful, well then the same thing. Um, it's the- um, so, But without lecturing, you know? Yeah, it's, it's something that, it, it comes from a neo-Marxist critique, that idea that if you are, if you, tell someone something instead of letting them discover for itself you're removing something from their experience that they don't necessarily need to have um and it was very very popular for a long time in education theory but it really is being pushed aside right now with this better understanding that the only way to have more complicated thoughts is by laying the simple ideas and then letting them grow from there it's like saying you've got to let the plant grow but you still need to give it good quality earth sunlight and water you know, there are still some basics that need to be put in place. That's a really great way to put it. That, yeah. And, and then you know, obviously the plan is left to see if they can actually thrive in that environment. And, and I agree, of course, with, with teaching. Um, Cause there's, like I said, I'm not telling everybody everything. You, you can't uh, mm-hmm. actually, there's just thing I say that gets confusing, especially when I say it to the students that I'm teaching. <laughs> when I say, guys, I, I don't believe you can teach parkour. I don't think I can teach parkour. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, what I can do is set a set a stage. I can give you some ideas. I can describe and create and facilitate. But parkour, you have to teach yourself. Um, I can create the conditions. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like that. A, so a, shall we pivot now? So for the audience, um, I'm going to kind of try and get some quick fire coaching advice coaching troubleshooting or brandy so i've got a couple Ooh. of questions lined up but if you want us to talk about any specific parts of coaching or write in like an agony ant style thing with questions feel free to do so we'll i'm checking the chat if you guys ask us anything we'll do our best to answer them um we can't promise to agree but we'll give you advice um, <laughs> yeah, i definitely do not promise to agree <laughs> So let's start with a really simple one. Um, Brandy, what would your advice be to people walking into work with a brand new group of young people for the very first time? What are you thinking about in those moments? Uh, Well, the first advice is to have already had a plan of some sort. If you're just showing up and thinking that you will do something you've already done or just kind of choose, pick and choose when you get there, uh, that is not what I recommend. The point of planning is to have something to fall back on. So even though I might completely throw that plan out when I do see that group of people, I should have arrived with something that I had in mind from start to finish. 
including even what I will say. Now, for me, over so much time, I don't have to plan out my scripts for you know describing various various movements. I just go to the thing that I always say. If that doesn't work, I go to the second thing that I always say. It's the first thing, right? Um, but having having a full plan and a script ready is is the first and foremost because you do not want to show up feeling like you don't have something to give to them. Uh, the second thing is quick assessment. Uh, get people in whatever format. I like a circle format. I like to call them to action. Actually, that would actually be the second thing is have a call to action ready to go. Especially if you're going to see this group over and over, you want to install the whatever it is, whether it's a movement, a sound, a series of actions, where they now know the session is starting. It could be as simple as Hey, you people, um, get over here. I had a teen class for a bit. I called them fresh meat. Why? I don't know. It was funny. I like to troll teenagers. You know, they're already like, and by that, I it's mean, important. You know, no, no. I think it's very them. important to <laughs> bully teenagers. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So for my teen class, they learned that when, when I'm on the other side of the gym or whatever, I say fresh meat, they know that they need to run over and we start the, start the class. Um, but it can be anything. I really like the idea of silent calls to action where maybe you just stand on a curb and then everyone eventually figures out that they need to also stand on that curb or, or whatever. Have a call to action, be ready to use it and be ready to teach your students what it is. So for example, if you try the standing on the curb silently and it's not working for whatever group you're having, well, then you have to tell them, guys, this is actually what we're doing. Right, so it's not just magically going to work. It's something that you install, including with the, the instruction. Mm. Um, and that goes actually into uh, assessing the group and the energy and the situation. So a good example of that is like, I would never try to use the silent call to action with a group of 10 six-year-olds who I've never met before. No, 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 that's something more obvious, like, hey, if you're here for parkour, get in this circle, you know, <laughs> and then you, you install whatever call to action you really want to have, right? Yeah, and when, when they're younger, um, it definitely becomes about, just as you were saying earlier, that really explicit, like, you can, you can say, we are going to use this call to action, and when I do this thing, this is how you are going to respond, especially mm -hmm. when they're younger. Especially when they're younger, they'll, they'll get it, especially if it's fun, especially if it's fun. I uh, had a coach who, he, he has a, a various calls to action throughout the class, uh, especially because in a good class, that's going to happen over and over. You have some sort of routine, some sort of uh, rituals that happen so people get a, a sense of, of a normalcy when being there. And so one of the things he does with water breaks is he says, all right, when I throw a smoke bomb, I need you to go run as quickly, quietly, and safely to get water as you can, and then come back as quickly, quietly, and safely as you can. Is and he so, actually throwing smoke bombs? <laughs> no, it's, a, it's imaginary smoke bomb, of course. Yeah, you don't want to waste smoke bombs in classes like that all the time. Jeez. I was just confused. Things are cheap. <laughs> no, it's just, it, 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 I'm telling you, it's imagination, right? For kids, it's fun to imagine, especially if you can pull it off. If you're just trying to be contrived about something, and copying someone else's coaching style. And it's one thing to try things out, but it's another thing to, to try and just be somebody else. It, it just doesn't work. So for him, 
snowball. And then you see, boom, kids are gone. Where are they? We don't know. They're getting water. Okay, and then there's something back. It works. But only because he goes through that process of describing it for any time there's new people um, in, in, the, in the group. Um, yeah, very... So, uh, to, to recap. A very imaginative um, external cueing like that sometimes works amazingly well for coaches and some coaches feel really weird about it um yeah. i'd kind of go with you experiment with it if you if you hate it there are other ways to coach but it does work really well i love it yeah it doesn't have to be imaginative either it can it, it doesn't have to be anything theatrical or special you know you can just help teach people that this means they'll get water ah, don't and it's W. It's like American Sign Language W. Go get water, and then you can just do that, or you can just say, "Go get water." Like you can always just default to saying the thing, but again, if you're, you know, if we're talking about developing not just curriculum but class culture over time, it's something you want to do as consciously as possible, in my opinion. Um, but for a new, and especially for a new group, like if the group, even if you're saying in them one day keep your culture as consistent as you can because just because you're seeing them from a single workshop doesn't mean they're not coming back to your class at some point right and so there's like a period there's always a period of trying new things out um when trying to to install something something in addition to your own coaching style um but consistency is the key people can come back to my class years later and feel kind of comfy even in 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 the way that i'm presenting the session for them yeah. Um, should we move on? Um, well, let's just recap those those on you tips go. for coming, seeing a, a new group of youth. Uh, have a plan, even if you're ready to throw that plan out. Uh, be prepared with call to action. Assess the group. Oh yes, I forgot one. Learn their names. Learn their names. Yes. Learn their names. How many times I say it? Learn people's names. Learn people's names. If you have somebody's name and you know it and you can use it, especially, well, anybody, but with youth especially, first of all, they are more likely to listen to you because you know what they're called. They're most likely to believe that you care about them because you know what they're called and you have the ability to help keep a safe, controlled environment because you're not, hey, youing red shirt, you know, Pikachu kid. That, that is not a strong way to keep control of a class. Um, so along with that, not only do I say learn people's names, um, give people a chance to have a say in class as well. I'm a huge fan of name circles, name games, what have you. We all, I'm here, call to action. I greet everybody. Hello. We're going to go around. We're going to do this. You're going to say your name and answer this basic question or do this movement. Or maybe it's a game and like add on, like say your name and do a move. And then we all say hi person and do their move and then the next person gets to do it right having that especially with kids first it, it, like it, it gets you all their names also thank them thank you charlie for that awesome move you did you have these now these, you have these memory tactics that are helping you because you can just easily remember oh well charlie likes likes tigers and jack said some you know pangolin strange creature so you, you get a little bit to know about these people um, by their answers, but also about their demeanor, how they answer questions, whether they're willing to answer questions, how confident they are when they say their name, 
if they don't want to say their name, you know, they're hiding their face, you know, that gives you something about them. And you can just store that for later. I had a kid in class uh, for a couple of years and only by assessing every single day could I know what he was ready for because I found out after just, I think, two or maybe three classes, it wasn't that he was not motivated to do stuff because he was just, he, was, he was super motivated to do stuff. He just wasn't eating enough food. <laughs> the kid was just hungry all the time and had no energy. But if I'm just showing up to class and treating them like a group of, of, of a pack of children, I'm not going to figure out that this one kid probably needs more snacks <laughs> before he starts this, this session. Yeah, it's all those little things. Um, I'm a big advocate of learning names and it's hard. And a lot of my coaches go, I just can't do it. And I say, well, learn. And you, of course you can't do it because have you ever tried to learn 20 names in 10 minutes? It's really hard. Have you ever tried to learn 20 names 10 times in a day? It, it probably can't be done, but you should try anyway and pick up as many as you can because you'll just get better at it. I'm a big advocate I for agree. that. I agree. I mean, there's people I see every year at American Rendezvous, and I, gosh darn it, by the time I get back there, their name has been pushed out of my brain by the hundreds of new names. Um, so yeah, you're, you're going to come up, up against that that challenge and the embarrassment of forgetting someone's name um, or not learning it very soon. But the point the point is to practice. If you can learn okay. all of the words you know in a language, you can absolutely pick up more names. Yeah. yeah. It's um, so do you find this because um, when I'm deep in standard real world coaching and I'm seeing, you know, 150, 200 kids a week. When I walk into that school, I know the name of every child in that school. And when I walk out, if I see them in a different perspective, I've completely missed. I, I, I've got this like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do want to put a caveat to you. There are there are some situations where, yes, it is like mentally, physically more difficult to remember names. So, you know, not across the board do I expect everyone to be a savant at remembering names, but uh, the, the goal is to, to try and to show them that you care enough and to have the control so you can, so you can discipline your class. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the more interesting one, uh, discussions, I think, that we as parkour coaches have to have um, more so than a lot of other coaching um, styles is we need to talk about dynamic risk assessment that is managing the risks inherent in the activity we're doing because we obviously teach risk to some extent. How should we be managing risks in our classrooms and potentially, almost more importantly, when should we not be managing it? You know, that... <laughs> That is a dynamic question because it, it is going to change at all times. So um, a couple of things that come to mind with that question for me is, again, always starting with the explicit, being explicit about risk and what we're doing around it. So, you know, going back to calling Ukemi self-preservation. Well, why the heck do we need self-preservation anyway? Well, because parkour is dangerous. It, it, it can be dangerous if you're not doing it well and correctly. And even if you are doing it well, things are still going to happen. Um, so it's not, it's not so much trying to do scare tactics, but I still, I will absolutely pull out anecdotes and uh, various situations that have happened to people to, to elicit a sense of um, hesitation 
for things for not hesitation for doing things, but hesitation for committing to something without considering it first. Uh, and then that actually is, it goes into the second thing is just teaching people how to fail, like having failure and and falling and impact be such a part of the practice that you don't know parkour without oh I know I need to know how to fall to to help myself. Right. If I if I just go forward and just do just do the moves and when fails happen they happen and let's go on to the next move. I mean people are gonna learn how to not mess themselves up or maybe not. But if I was saying, okay, every session we are going to practice this specific maneuver to help us if we fail this specific maneuver, that just becomes part of part of what we're doing. We like we know there's risk because we've practiced for it. Um yeah, and then as far as, again, conceptually, something that I will tell uh, even children's students is, if you're going to do something, I need you to know that you can 100% do it safely or 100% fail it safely. And that keeps it connected to this idea that you're not going to always make it. Mm. Um, as far as managing it during classes and what to, what to, like, to, to adjust and what to not, it really just depends on the students and the situation. Um, a lot of times I have to do more risk management with adults, honestly, than kids, just because a lot of times adults don't have a good sense of what they're capable of physically, or they expect themselves to be able to be capable of something that maybe they haven't actually practiced, or uh, a lot of times someone coming back in after having you know, maybe been really strong and, and great in their youth, just want to jump right back into there and rush back into it and they, they have a sensation that they need to catch up to something or to someone and that causes them to rush um, that is where I will manage it and I will say slow down or I will just straight up tell you you cannot do certain tasks so as far as managing risk just basically being willing to stop people from doing things and also being willing to maybe let people do things that might result in them kind of getting bumped up and, and messed up. I'm not going to let someone do something if I think that they're going to concuss themselves, right? But if I think that they might shin themselves or slip and have to, you know, see if they can catch into a, a role or whatnot, I'm going to let them do that because these are the things that I cannot teach you to do this. You have to discover. Um, but if I perceive that anything will result in, like, true injury, then I, I have the the strong, strong ability to say, no, you don't get to do that today. <laughs> I like that. Um, I think one of the interesting things that you, you sort of spoke around was the fact that when you teach using failure, what you're doing is you're also getting them out of that, that mindset that they have to succeed that sort of drips into culture all over the place that idea that um, you, if you, you only do something if you're going to be good at it. And if you're going to be bad at something, then you don't do it because you're afraid to look bad. You kind of, I find so often we have to, we have to beat that out of students to some extent because especially with their younger kids with their friends, they're always trying to one-up and you try to they'll avoid doing things if they fail. So if you bring in that value of, hey, it's okay to fail, that will help you become stronger, that learning mindset you really develop and one of the ways I think is really clever 
and I don't think we ever did it this way on purpose, but we've kind of fallen into it, is that by teaching them to fail as the starting point and then letting them succeed later down the line, like failure is so cooked into what we do that we get them into that much healthier mindset. And then with the adults, it becomes yeah. unlearning this internalized performance that they're always trying to put into place. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, exactly, like the, you know, the idea of failing a technique becomes a success in itself as long as it was safe, right? So mm-hmm. even though we still do have the opportunity for real failure, which would be anything that results in, in injury, in my opinion, um, it should, it should always be there as, as there are things that you will do. There are things that you will not do. There are things that you will kind of do. And this is a process of progression, not a, I get this right. Don't get this um, every single time. Yeah. So, and then just, uh, again, I'm, I'm really heavy on people learning themselves and being able to self-discipline themselves and just, and decide and learn what that means, what that feels like. And so that they can make the decisions for them. Um, so I don't have to, you know? Yeah, sorry, I'm just, something weird happened with the feed. So I'm just making sure that it's all working. I think it is. Yep, no cool. Worries. All right, um, let's start chat a little bit about discipline. How do you approach the idea? I'm, I'm mostly talking about kids right now of discipline in your class. Okay, yeah, uh, with kids, well, first, I mean, it starts with having a clear definition for myself of what discipline is. And I look at discipline in two main ways. Well, firstly, it has to go from freedom first. The way I define freedom for myself is if I have discipline, I can maintain my safety. Those things together are what mean I can be free. Because if I'm in trouble, I can't be free or if I'm injured, I cannot be free. That short statement and idea, I say that to children. So we learn, we learn that, you know, because they hear, if they know the word discipline already, a lot of times it has a negative context because you are being disciplined because there's consequences to your actions. I want them to understand that that is true. There are consequences to your actions and you don't get to just come to my class and do whatever you want. And everything I'm saying right now, I say to these people, it's like, hey, uh, what's it, Aiden? Aiden, this is not come to class and do whatever you want time. This is you're in Brandy's class time, <laughs> and this is how we do this. So you know, we're we're just gonna have a conversation about it. But um, I'm again constantly exposing them to this idea that they need to be in control of themselves in order to be able to get to do things that are more fun and more advanced. One thing I'll say in the group is, okay, everyone, let's remember maybe it's right at the start of class all right so today we are going to work on our running jumps let's remember before we do that we have to warm up I start falling this and that and this whole time you are proving to me that I can trust you to keep yourself safe you are proving to me that I can trust you to keep yourself safe so I'm saying that and then I'm teaching them the, the motions to then to then do so um clear expectations clear consequences as well there's no such thing as a an empty threat in my class Absolutely mm. not. In fact, I, I strongly disagree with lying to children in any way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, there's, of course, like the goofy, like, you know, trying to trick them or troll them. I only really do that when I know they're smart enough to, to figure it out. Um, 
I never, I never truly wanted to. to I um, am still in the process of convincing. Child. I'm still in the process of convincing every child that I teach that uh, I am a giant mutant hedgehog. Um, See that now that uh, that that flies under the radar for me. Like that's fine, right? And because again, they, they're going to be smart enough to know that that's absolutely true. Because why else would you be so strange? Um, but outside of those types of things. I don't promise something that I can't deliver. In fact, if I if I forgot about something and they bring it back up, well, by golly, we're gonna do it. But you said, you're right. I did say that. Let's make sure that happens. Or, but you said, and then like, wait, but I gave you these stipulations. I gave you these clear expectations before we went forward. And did you meet those expectations? So with, with the discipline, yes, I'm, ha- I'm having a conversation between the group and myself and each individual and myself. Um, the a good way to describe that to you is the promises. So something I've been doing in my classes for a while, and then I started having coaches also do this as a, our method at Park Revisions is we start, and you ask the class to prom- make you three promises. Promise number one is I promise to protect myself. And when you go through the promises every single time, either if it's, if it's a new group, I'm saying what those things are, or I'm asking first. Promise for yourself. What does that mean? What does it mean to protect yourself? Uh, do you think you know how to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're tired, take a break. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you find what people are saying, and then if there's anything you think was missing, you need to speak to that. Mm-hmm. And you have everyone do the thing. I promise to protect myself. And then you have all the voices. I promise to protect myself. It's so cute. The second promise is I promise to protect others. Again, we go through what it means. Looking out for each other. Physically looking out. Um, you know, being kind to each other, not crowding somebody else, not rushing somebody else. Then we make the promise. The, the final promise is the promise to have fun. And this one's really fun for me to always present because they're like, fun, <laughs> so easy. I was like, ah, he thought that was easy, but it's actually the hardest promise because the promise to have fun is the promise to, even when it's not fun, because parkour is not always fun, even when it's frustrating, even when you're tired, even when we're doing something you don't want to do, the promise to have fun is the promise to know that because parkour is about challenge and making yourself better by being challenged, you know that you will get through this and you'll be better at stuff. So you will have more fun after the fact. And so we make that promise. And then I have, that's the set of the session. If something happens throughout the class and it's happening, I say, oh, you just broke your promise. You just broke promise number two. Come over here. Let's talk about that. How, why did that happen? Oh, okay. Well, what do you need to do to re-promise? Okay, do you re-promise? And I always have them say it too. It's not just, I promise. It's, I promise to protect others. Because then if they're saying it, they're hearing themselves say it, it's, you know, all the psychological benefits of, of making it real for themselves. And they just go on with the class some more, right? Um, so that, that has been working fantastically, to be honest. Uh, just asking people to promise, make promises. It's a nice variation. We use rule one, don't die, rule two, don't kill anyone, and rule three, don't talk about Fight Club, which has a very similar (laughs) reasoning behind all three rules to yours. But I like the promises. I think that in some ways it's superior to what we're doing because it does have that lovely moment of like, they have to internalize it because they say the words. Yeah, and that's that's true. Because I mean, they are rules, obviously. but yeah, just changing the language around it and, and calling for the verbalization of it. In fact, 
if not everyone says it, I I just wait. We just do it. We just say it over and over until every single person, even if it's like, if I see a kid, just no, <laughs> no, we're gonna have to all say this, because um, it also puts the the onus on them. But you promised this. Not you're not following my rules. You're just trying to stick to the promise you made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of it also kind of comes back to honesty, and it also comes back to holding being trustworthy, and you can kind of build all those things yeah. into. Yeah, nice. and it's a good place to build a conversation from if you need to sit them out and have conversations. Um, I never just unless it was some some heinous violence that some kid put upon another child um when i sit them out i don't just leave them there and tend to them back in i put them there and they know that they're there for three five or whatever minutes and then we have a conversation about it yeah we try to we try to suss it out um it's really interesting because it feels like that idea has been around in one form or another for a long period of time but when you look at the latest research um in education theory and it's cutting edge that I that that process where you you take away time and then they have to identify what they did wrong before they go back in that's like cutting edge education theory cool <laughs> I honestly don't study education theory as much as I probably should um I'm very, it's, I'm very it's, intuitive coach but no it's, um, it's I it, you're not the only one to have understood how powerful that as it is as a tool I really like it um, so let's kind of, my final point that I had, we've kind of covered already because I wanted to talk a little bit about delivering ideas and content sets instead of movements, but because we've already been there, I kind of maybe want to spend a little bit more time about my, with my last couple of questions. I think they interest you as well, because when I think back to my childhood, what I remember about my early experiences um, as a kid attending classes um, of all sorts or the other one being very much like you cartoons now that you mentioned it it makes a lot of sense to me um the things that really shape me are the values that i internalized more than any thing i actually learned um and i kind of imagine that that's going to be true of the kids that we teach do you spend much time thinking about like the broad values you're imparting or what your legacy might be on their lives Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not so much anymore since I've done so much thinking about that. Um, but I thought way more about how to get them to understand the things that I care about and that I want them to care about than to get them to do nice, nice transitions and fancy and fancy footwork. You know, I want that for them as well, but I'd rather them be good people um, than, than amazing parkour athletes. So that I mean, that, this goes back into everything I've spoken to today. You know, like never, never lying to them, always being forthright with with what I think or what I what I want to say. Speaking to them like they're people. Uh, a lot of times, people, uh, adults speak down to children, and I see I see no point in that because all I'm doing is teaching them to speak down to other people as well. So, um, as far as my role in their lives, uh, it's been a bit what's the word I've been a bit resistant to in the past less so now than ever but resistant in the past to recognize how powerful how powerfully I've affected people as a coach um because that wasn't my main purpose ever my main purpose was to get those people who I'm teaching to 
feel good in themselves, feel good about themselves and be more awesome in whatever ways they want to be more awesome. Uh, but turns out by doing that, I do make a huge impact on people's lives. Um, you know, there's at this point, there's people I've taught permanently and they were small children. Now they are adult sized people and, <laughs> and adult brain people, right? So they'll come back to me and say, you know, this thing that you said to me was just so important or in a way that's what also keeps me going as a coach, uh, to be honest, is like ha- having this knowledge and having the feedback of, oh, actually I did make a difference. Um, Cause I'm always going to teach as if I will, but you know, knowing that you can by just doing simple things like listening, um, being consistent, being honest, being fun, being entertaining. Like, yes, these things, these things absolutely make an impact on people. Uh, so I do, I do recognize that. But as far as thinking about how to do that the best, I've just come to that just being the most myself and taking care of myself in a way that I can mm. show up for people is the most important. Um, they have no business. And this it has happened over the past. I had gone through, you know, burnout and struggles and all these things where, um, and I feel bad right away when I can't show up for, for my students because they have no business taking on whatever stress or, turmoil <laughs> I'm experiencing in my life. So when I'm stepping into that classroom or that, that, that stage is all about them at this point, because I should have done my work about me before and after that situation and continuing to do that. So, you know, no matter what my mood is, if I can't show for them, then what am I even doing? Mm. And I think that's what has ultimately made the impact on people is that they know when I'm teaching with them, that I'm, I'm with them, like I'm there for them. This is all about you. Uh, it's also the struggle I've been having with these, these online uh, instruction situations where I just, I feel like I can't, I can't reach that. Um, just like, no, uh, I just feel so, so difficult to have, have, to feel like I'm with people when I'm teaching through a screen, um, like a live screen, you know, I can, do my tutorials by myself and kind of still feel, you know, I'm just talking to a camera so I can be as, as, uh, as me as I want, but it's, it's definitely been a struggle trying to, to figure out how to create and maintain certain aspects of my teaching style while knowing that it's just not possible. So I have to figure, figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I kind of got lost from the question though. No, I, I could so don't worry. There's so much for me to pick up on. Um, one thing that I think, again, what you were talking about really spoke to me as I was listening to you and made me reflect is, um, how can I put this? Part of the job of a coach is a role model, which is sort of odd because you kind of, you think of the, the classic uh, image of the overweight, a gymnastics instructor who's well past their prime who's there they're doing a great job because they know exactly what to do but the what they represent in that person's life um feels very odd to me because it feels like oh i didn't make it so now you have to make it it's like a vicarious like adult-led world whereas if you think about those early memories like your entire life was changed by the three ninjas and the old man in the movie. Um, like the 
what I learned from a lot of my early days of interacting with people was a lot about the values and what they represented. Like what we the the thing that we can do most with these people, those kids rather, is just be really great examples of what you can be. And that like as it it's sort of like it's a very weird one because there's a bit of you that has to give up and go. I'm like I. I'm not going to create a thousand parkour superstars. I might create a couple almost by accident, but that'll be nothing to do with me. But what I can do is I can be that inspiring person from that kid's childhood that really changed the way they thought about themselves. And I think that's a really powerful yeah. idea. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about the, the superstar thing, because honestly, for me, that's never really been a piece of it. I want everyone to move as well as they can. That is mm -hmm. where that is where I start is of course I want people to be as ninja as possible um, but again I want them to be what I do want is to create a bunch of good people or do what might do my part in in educating and assisting um, people becoming better humans uh, children do are included in people <laughs> whether some people like that or not uh, so yeah coming at coming at it from a position of you know as service right as a coach mm -hmm. i am providing a service and i'm providing the service of of my soul and my spirit and my experience and my physicality and my everything that i've built up to this point that is all going into this thing that i'm handing to to those students um so that's where the, i guess that's where the big concept is as far as what what i like to provide and then that just comes out in small ways over time um you know i can't spend an hour just being like, but I have all these things for you. Like, listen, in fact, that is something I will go to. Actually, there's a very, there's very few moments, but sometimes I will use uh, guilt and empathy to get students back under control. So, and this usually happens when I'm also feeling less energetic or whatever. If there's an unruly class, it's just, it's just whatever's happening. They're just not listening. We just, I sit them against the wall. Or somewhere and we're quiet. We're quiet and say, guys, have you ever had something really important you wanted to tell somebody? Seriously, like anything you've ever wanted to tell somebody that was really important. And of course they're like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, uh, here, you, try to tell me something important. And then they try to tell me something. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. right? And they, they laugh. And I'm like, yeah, it's funny right now but can, did you get does that feel good when someone's trying to tell you something important does that feel really good and of course they're like no it doesn't feel good right because i'm if they have empathy uh, you know there are some who are lower uh, um on that scale sometimes but if they have empathy then they're going to figure out pretty quickly and especially as soon as i say well this is what it's like for me when i'm here using my time to try and teach you all these cool things and you just want to listen I mean, I'm, I don't have to be here. I'll say that to kids too. I don't have to be here. <laughs> I'm choosing to be here. I'm choosing to, to help you with this. Um, so there's also an aspect of asking them to meet me where I want them to be able to meet me, right? Like I'm not expecting them to have so much emotional intelligence so that I can read my body posture and that I'm, you know, getting ever more upset when they're not listening to me. But I will tell them, I, you know, all of those things I just said. Because I also have to make the environment work for myself. If I don't have a coaching environment that can sustain me, it's, it's going to be a short endeavor. Mm. 
it's really interesting because one of the things that we deal with a lot is we go into a lot of schools so we teach in you know on an average week five instructors are going to 40 schools some of them are great wonderful schools um and it's but you know when you're going into that many schools with that many different personalities almost invariably invariably every term there's going to be one mismatch one coach who's suddenly just with a group who they just do not click with um Mm -hmm. and so it's really important for me to help walk the coach through that period, understand how, how they've lost the kids, what they can change and how they can adapt. And we can think about this little, one of the lovely things for me about us being in all these schools is that um, you do 10 weeks with the kids and you if you completely mess it up, it doesn't matter too much because you can just go and teach another group of kids another time and like, you can learn so much in that experience and you can fail. We were talking about you can fail and it doesn't matter, you can continue becoming a better coach and those failures are important. But I think that's really interesting that you, you've actually taken a lot of those concepts of failure and you've really turned them to your advantage in a really interesting way that, again, can almost help you get out of those really difficult moments that we sometimes experience as coaches. Um, Absolutely. I mean, just like anything, there, failure is necessary to, to improve, um, which is why I also make a point, especially at large events, to try something new. Because if I'm not trying something new, then it's going to be very hard to, to make failures happen. Um, but it also, yeah, just, it's just ingrained. So it's, it's very, I do, I do get very, it's very uh, unusual nowadays to, to have a, the majority of the group not focus with me and like not be able to, to, to connect with all of them. And it is, it is very frustrating when I, when that doesn't happen. Um, I had a, before we had to do the, the, the closing down, um, had this group where it was three, three of us coaches on a one day a week where there were like 30 kids, but they had such different age levels. Like it was like six years old to, 12 years old and there was there was a lot of frustration for me in that in that situation but it was also a really good because I was also working with coaches that I hadn't worked with um someone who's a really great coach and more experienced but not in the style that I'm used to well that's not true I just hadn't worked with them and then another coach who is a pretty new coach and so you know I had this idea of the way I wanted to, to cycle the groups and we all see this and, blah, 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 and it just didn't work it was like nine weeks of ugh but of course, after that, I'm, I'm assessing that and saying, okay, well, this is what should have happened. And this is where we went wrong. Or this is where I went wrong. And, you know, now having a better plan, I feel okay going back into that school when we can and just changing the structure entirely. Because <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't like having the, the feeling of not controlling the class. Mm. And that's one of the really other because really interesting things. Sorry. I was going to say, because if I'm not in control, then I'm not giving them the benefit of, of why we're there in the first place. And that's, that's, the, that's the ultimate reason for control. It's not just so that I have a good time. It's so that I can actually do the task that I have set myself to, which is to enrich and educate. Their lives, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that I find really funny about that is that um, even incredibly experienced coaches who have been teaching you know 10 plus years like you and I occasionally go into a school and it's an absolute clusterfuck and 
of course, the joy is because we all work individually. We don't see that it's that way for everyone else. So like my coach is like, like, but you're, you're so great with kids. You're so amazing. Like sometimes I have really terrible experiences with kids and it does not work well. So it's, I think that's a fun, fun, fun moment for us to sort of finish off on, which is it doesn't matter how good you're going to get. You're still going to have bad days. You're still going to mess up with kids. They're really, really hard. Um, all you can do is just slowly move the lever and give better and better experiences and hopefully influence them and change their lives. And, and, and there's something like, I couldn't have said it better. Um, you know, especially with these students who you do have the benefit of seeing multiple weeks in a row. Um, you know, we have all these grand ideas and all these awesome concepts and ways to, to teach them to be so amazing, but we're also fighting against whatever else is happening in their lives, either fighting against it or assisting it. So there's, there, you do have to recognize too at some point where, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying don't have pie in the sky dreams for what you can do with people, but just being realistic and being gentle on yourself as a coach as well, because there's sometimes not enough time in, in the, the week or the day for you to offset whatever else might be happening. So that's something I'm also considering, especially with the, you know, the, the early assessment of the class and getting used to who people are. Um, there are sometimes the ones that you know, like, this is maybe just the, the safest, best place they are in the week is here with me right now. And I can do what I can every single week. And that and there's no guarantee that's going to stick till next week. Um, yes. <laughs> Brilliant. No, and it's a really nice, I feel like we've explored a lot of really interesting things. And I think it, what we've, we had a really fun discussion. Thank you. Um, how I like to end these is I like to give you an opportunity to talk about any interesting books or podcasts or initiatives or anything else that you're doing right now or things that you think people should read or learn about um just going to give you a platform to talk about things you want to talk about gosh i wish i had prepared myself for that because i am woefully understudied in in books right now uh <laughs> my so with uh park revisions like all the other groups we've been working on uh, launching online classes etc so i guess for us, as far as coaches goes and uh, just doing what i'm doing and trying to intake as many other classes and study what people are doing and what seems to to work for that but as far as other things honestly i've been studying um sewing recently i've learned to use a sewing machine i've been creating um gear and and such so i've been pretty yeah, I don't know, non-academic. <laughs> You've been creating a counterfeit um, Scotch sticks masks. <laughs> yeah, that pair of Scotchies was was done for. So I uh, I pillaged some some pieces. It's so comfortable as a mask too. It's it's just it's <laughs> very very nice, and it, it's imbued with years of training and lounging, you know. And so it's just like it's wonderful. You once yeah, recommended I mean, a fantastic book to me, which I think speaks to a lot of the things that you do and think about. And it was called Super Better by Jane Mc, McDougall. Oh, Super Better. Yeah, I love Super Better. It's a great little book. So in the absence of yeah. uh, you making a recommendation, I'll make a recommendation on your behalf for that book. Thank you. Thank you. Because I'm like, oh, I don't really read books. <laughs> I mean, I do, but it just it takes me a while to, uh, to do that, to get through things. But Super Better is a fantastic um fantastic method uh we could say mm -hmm. of, of self-improvement it's just gamifying self-improvement essentially 
um, in a way. And what, what's nice about that book too, is it's not just, you know, you can go through it and get the benefit of doing the things as you're doing it, but it's also just a nice example of structuring things. I mean, you can just take things right out of that book and just change the goal and change the words a bit. And now you have stuff for classes, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty, I was like, just looking at my, uh, my bookshelf and seeing if there's anything that also sticks out. Um, but yeah, I honestly, I have to admit not being terribly, terribly academic um, right now. <laughs> or most that's, of <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I, um, I, did the, I always have to recommend Mover's Mindset though. As a podcast. Mm. Mindset is a great podcast by my friend Craig Constantine. Mindset, yes. Yeah. That's great. Um, yes. No worries. Thank you so much for joining me on uh, this episode of AOR Lives. We have a name now. How exciting is that? Uh, we're going to finish off for the evening. Pretty cool. Thank you so much, Brandon. You're so welcome, Hedge. It's my pleasure.